students, welcome back to lecture 14 on Homer's Iliad, 2019, book 7 and 8. But, very quickly, we need to, I believe, go back to book 6. Because yesterday we met two of the women who loved Homer, but we did not meet the third. We sort of met her. We sort of met her. Her name is Andromache. And so recall, it was Helenus the prophet, we should start writing this, it was Helenus the prophet, who was a Trojan, who was Hector's brother, who told him he needs to go back into, because he saw some sort of augury, he saw some auspice, he saw some sign from the gods, that Hector needed to return from the battle into Troy to make a sacrifice of 12 heifers and 12 roads. Hector then left the battle effort, showing us that the Trojans are doing extremely well, in order to return to Troy. He then first went to his mother. She went to sacrifice to Athena. Athena turned her head. Athena will not help the Trojans because Athena is on the Achaean side of the battle, though the Trojans do not know that because the mortals do not know the will of the gods. However, we do know the will of the gods because we are privileged readers rather than livers within the narrative itself. Hector then went to collect his brother Paris, who was messing about, busying himself with his armor, while also uh, getting to see Helen. Two things that happened during the course of uh, seeing his mother, Hecuba, and Helen, is that he gets offers to spend some time with them, drink some wine with his mother, Hecuba, sit and talk with Helen. Very nice offers, especially when the alternative is go fight and risk your life outside. That said, Hector apparently does not want an easy, leisurely, sit-about life like Paris. An ignoble and weak soul, pusillanimous life. He wants to be somebody worth emulating. And in order to be somebody worth emulating, you must do difficult things, not the easy things that everybody can do. And so, Hector then goes to find his wife, Andromache. She seems to share some of his courageous spirit. Rather than being at her home with her son, Astyanax, who is almost a newborn at this point, she is up on the Trojan walls. Why? Well, you just need to think about this for about five seconds to understand that A, she's trying to enculturate her son to be strong, but also she is a queen amongst the women. Other women are there without their husbands on the wall because their husbands are down fighting. What is Andromache doing on that wall? She's giving those women strength. And so Hector goes to meet her. When Hector meets her, she gives him a very powerful speech about the fact that the city she grew up in, Theba, has just been destroyed by Achilleus. That's what happened immediately preceding the events of the Iliad. That's where Briseis and Chryseis were taken from. And so Andromache is having a really, really bad few days. Her father has been killed, King Aetion. Her mother has died of sadness. Her brothers have been killed, possibly directly by Achilleus. And she knows that one day her husband will probably be killed because Achilles is far more terrifying and formidable than he is. And if her husband falls, he's the champion of Troy. He's the one defending Troy from the Achaeans. Well, then Troy will fall. And if Troy will fall, that means that her royal son will also fall. And I don't mean to be crude when I say this. He will literally be thrown off the roof of the palace of Troy by the son of Achilles named Neoptolemus, in some accounts by Odysseus. I actually have two images of that here, and there are many, many more. Many, many more. And so Andromache 
gives what you might imagine to be the ultimate guilt trip to Hector. She says to him, now that my father is gone, my mother is gone, my brothers are gone, you are all of these two. You are my mother. You are my father. You are my brothers. You are my husband. You are everything to me. And when she says that, it is not like some puerile poem that someone who uh, is text messaging his uh, two-week old, his two-week girlfriend for the third time. No, no. This is actually true for her. Her whole family is housed within a Stianax who can't defend himself or her, and Hector. And so if Hector dies, she's left with almost nothing. And, well, even less than nothing in some ways, because that means that her future involves Achaeans streaming into her city, taking her son from her, and enslaving her. And, sadly enough, that is what her future holds. And she can see it clearly, and so can Hector. And so she says, why don't you just spend some time with me, rather than going back out to this battle that we will never win? And that is a very hard question to answer. And yet, that's a question that many people must answer. Why do you fight a battle you know you're going to lose? Well, Hector says, it's my responsibility. I have to be out there. I'm the leader. It doesn't matter whether we're going to lose or not. Because as the leader, as the captain of the ship, I have to go down with the ship. Um, and actually, I want us to open up to that page 183 really quickly, just because I want you to see how clear-eyed he is about this situation. He holds no delusions, at least at this point, about his ability to defeat the Achaeans. Now, this will get uh, mucked up. This will become vague as he experiences more and more success over the next several books. But the key to his success is not his battle prowess, nor his strategy, nor the Trojans' ability. It will be simply because Zeus is helping him. And so he will become a little inflated and think, oh, maybe there is a chance. But at this point, he definitely knows there's not. Let's start with line 440. And I just want to imagine, I want you to imagine you're there. Open your books, please. And you're talking to someone that you love. And this is what you have to say. All these things are in my mind also, lady. Yet I would feel deep shame before the Trojans, and the Trojan women with trailing garments, if like a coward I would shrink aside from the fighting. And the spirit will not let me, since I have learned to be valiant, and to fight always amongst the foremost ranks of the Trojans, winning for my own self great glory and for my father. For I know this thing well in my heart, and my mind knows it. There will come a day when sacred Ilion shall perish, and Priam, his father, and the people of Priam, of the strong ash spear. But it is not so much the pain to come of the Trojans that troubles me, not even of Priam, the king, nor Hecuba, not the thought of my brothers, who in their numbers and valor shall drop in the dust under the hands of men who hate them, as troubles me the thought of you, when some bronze-armored Achaean leads you off, taking away your day of liberty, in tears. And in Argus, you must work at the loom of another, and carry water from the spring of Messias, or Hyperea, all unwilling, but strong will be the necessity upon you. That means she'll be enslaved. And someday, seeing you shedding tears, a man will say of you, this is the wife of Hector, 
who was ever the bravest fighter of the Trojans, breakers of horses, in the days when they fought about Ilion. So will one speak of you. And for you it will be yet a fresh grief to be widowed of such a man who could fight off the day of your slavery. But may I be dead, and the piled earth hide me under, before I hear you crying, and know by this that they drag you captive. My goodness. That was the quote. So, Hector says, I don't really... It's like, I know that I'm going to die, and my brothers are going to die, and my father's going to die, and our people are going to fall. And that's a bummer. But the biggest bummer is thinking about you being a slave and having somebody make a comment that, ha, 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 look at this slave over here. Didn't you used to be a queen of, were you a princess of Troy and Hector was your husband? Look at you now. What are you doing here, dirty? Uh, and so he says he hopes he's dead before that happens. Luckily for him, he will be. All right, so quick review. Hector first meets, you don't need to write this, but you do need to know this. Hector first meets his mother Hecuba and tells her to sacrifice 12 heifers and a rope. Heifers are cows. Hector then goes and yells at Paris for not fighting. He is polishing armor. Helen then tries to flirt with Hector. Hector doesn't have time for it. He then goes and sees his wife. I could just see how y'all, like an ECHS version of uh, 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 Helen trying to flirt with Hector would be like somebody trying during passing period to talk to you. And you're like, no, i got to get to class or I'm going to be tardy. I don't have time for this. In any case... Uh, because I just happened to have detention this week, and that is often what happens. Someone's like, I was talking to my friends, and I got caught up talking to my friends, I didn't realize time was passing. Well, that's what Hector keeps himself from doing here, because time matters, because the more time he's off the battlefield, the more of his friends can die without his help. And so, Helen then tries to flirt with Hector, he says no, he then goes off and sees his wife and child, remember his wife is named Andromache, his son is named Astyanax, oh yes, very good for people who like bonuses. He has a very special name that he calls his son. Sort of like possibly your parents have a very embarrassing special name that they call you, like Cuddlegoo or something. My parents used to call me Potamus. Potamus, which means river in Spanish, or not Spanish, Latin, what's one of the languages that came from Latin is Spanish, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't something I exactly liked to be called. I was also called Big Al. And it's like, you know, your parents will call you things that sort of embarrass you. But Scamandros means uh, like the god Scamandros. There is a river around Troy that's very powerful, uh, very different from the Escondido River. And um, it is uh, called Scamandros. And so he is like the rushing river to his father. And so his father has given him some pretty good names, I would say. Rather than embarrassing names, he gives him sort of names I would like to be called. Astyanax, Defender of the City. Uh, part of my name does mean that. Alexane, Alexander is my name, means to defend, and Andros means man, so my name actually means defender of man. And, well, I think I do a good job. In any case, let's get to book seven. Book seven, we have a second single combat. We're going to have to go fairly quickly through this. It doesn't get, uh, as I've told you, m many teachers do not teach book six, they don't teach book seven, they don't teach book eight. <clears throat> So I'm very quickly going to touch on these so that we can get to the all-important books 9, 10, and 11, then book 16, then books 22 and 24. Those are the big time ones. In any case, Athena and Apollo meet at an oak tree. Something to know just for your edification is that the oak tree is sacred to Zeus. It is a very uh, sacred tree. Um, and if you ever see an oak tree, they are very impressive 
looking trees. In any case, Athena and Apollo meet. If Athena and Apollo are meeting on the battlefield, that means a decision is going to be made. Apollo is the chief god on the Trojan side. Recall Ares and Aphrodite, who were both harmed by Diomedes, are also Trojan gods, but they are not the top Trojan god. Apollo is the decision maker. Apollo is the one who defends the Trojans. Apollo is the invincible one, as far as we are concerned. And so if he's talking to Athena, they're setting something up. And so, what is it that they set up? Apollo suggests, let's stop the fighting for the day and start a single combat. So it's unclear whether this single combat is just supposed to end the fighting for the day or end the war itself. It doesn't seem to have the same stakes as the last fight. But in any case, Apollo says, let's be real. Hector is my champion. Bam! We get to see the greatest Trojan fight. And then Athena says, well, I'll, uh, I'll get Samachian to accept the challenge. The battle is stopped. Hector issues his challenge, and who wants to step up and fight? Menelaus. Again, showing that he's sort of the opposite, and in some ways sort of similar to Paris. On the one hand, he steps up to the challenge. On the other hand, sort of like Paris, he would certainly be killed by Hector. He is not the same caliber fighter as Hector. And it's too big of a risk. If Menelaus gets killed, then the armies might disperse, and Agamemnon might be disgraced. Agamemnon says, why don't you take a seat, little brother? Take a seat for a moment. We'll settle this. And then Hector, apparently, when he issues the challenge, looks pretty scary. And it's sort of like when Mr. Schmidt asks a question and uh, nobody knows the answer. What follows his challenge? Silence. Exactly. And then, well, who, who shows up with his cane and his old crackety voice? Nestor. And remember, Nestor is old. He survived many wars. So he talks about the good old days. The good old days when he was a young man. He fought against a champ, champion named Eruthalion. He says, I was the youngest of men. And he was much tougher than that Hector, essentially speaking. And I was eager to fight against him. He's trying to shame the men into action. And so he says, if I could do that so many years ago, I would do that again now. But I'm so old, I can't fight, I have no strength in my body. But if I were a young man now, I would definitely want to accept this challenge for ultimate team A. And, well, his shaming of the young works. Nine men volunteer. Agamemnon. One thing we don't yet know about Agamemnon is he is a top-class fighter. He, Aias the Greater, Diomedes, and Achilleus are all superior to Hector in battle. Prowess. They are all capable of defeating Hector. Diomedes also volunteers. Aias the Greater also volunteers. Those are our big three choices, those first three. Agamemnon, Aias the Greater, and Diomedes. In fact, when the Achaeans, so since nine people volunteer, how do you choose who's going to get to fight? Well, they, they do chance. Just like how we draw straws, the idea is that you show a bunch of straws in your hand, and they all look equal in size. Whoever has the short straw is the one who's picked, or the long straw, depending on how you're doing it. Well, they draw lots. Basically, you put a mark on a stone, you put your stones into a helmet, you shake the helmet until a stone pops out. Whoever stone that is, that's the person who gets to fight. And so, Aias the Greater puts his stone in, Aias the Lesser puts his stone in, Idomeneus and Mariones, I haven't talked about them very much, I'll only say one thing about Mariones right now. He is the lieutenant to Idomeneus in the same way that Sthenelus is the lieutenant to Diomedes. 
He likes to watch people scream before they die. Why do I say that? Because Marianne's, and you need to keep your eye on this, especially the first time you see him kill, kills people in very nasty ways. He likes to puncture their internal organs so that they uh, go septic within themselves. That means that, say, your large intestines, which has feces in it, then explodes within you and poisons your bloodstream and you die in utter agony. That is something that uh, uh, Marianne's will try to make happen to people because he is a nasty, nasty piece of work. And during war, you get to find nasty, nasty people doing nasty, nasty things, and he is one of them. This is guy Eurypolis. We'll talk about him in the Inferno next year. You don't really need to remember him. Though, as you also don't need to remember, he's very much a minor character, son of Andrymon. And then the last person to volunteer is Odysseus. Last, because he is a champion and should volunteer, but he volunteers last because he's also smart. Because if you're going to fight against Hector, there's a pretty good chance that what might happen. You might get killed. And Odysseus, more than anything, does not want to get killed. There's not much living left to do once you get killed. In any case, lots are drawn while the Achaeans pray for Aeus the Greater, Diomedes, or Agamemnon to fight. Those are their top three choices. Those are the three people they think will cream Hector no matter what. And then, bang, what pops out of the helmet? Which lot is drawn? Aeus the Greater. Awesome. If we didn't have Achilleus to easily defeat Hector, and when you do see them fight, you'll understand why I say easily, uh, because Achilleus is just a nightmare. Uh, it's like Freddy Krueger versus somebody in his dream world. I don't know if you've ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street. But in any case, it's usually a one-sided fight. If Achilleus can't fight, the next best thing is Aeus the Greater. He's like a carbon copy of Achilleus, but maybe not quite as eloquent. That means uh, uh, persuasive in speech. And maybe also not um, as strong. But compared to every other Achaean and every other person on the battlefield, including Trojans, he's vastly superior. Something else you want to keep in mind is that Aeus the Greater is humongous. He's like seven feet tall in a time when people were like five foot eight. He stands way, way taller than everybody. And so when you see him, you are extremely intimidated by him. He's also a physical specimen. He doesn't wear armor. He's jacked. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger plus LeBron James, and you're like you. And so, well, he's incredible. And so... When Aeus approaches Hector, Hector very understandably shivers. Because, ah, wow, Aeus. And well, they exchange threats. They, Hector says, I'm not really scared of you. We don't have time to read that today. And they throw their spears at each other. And things start to get hot and heavy. And Aeus actually strikes a blow against Hector. He stabs his spear across the neck of Hector. I don't know if you've ever gotten like a nasty, like... Uh, burn on your neck before from cloth or something, putting it on, but it hurts. Blood is drawn from Hector. Things are not looking good for Hector, and then the battle is stopped by heralds. Right in the middle of it. Why? Well, night is falling, and a convention of the ancient Greeks is that since they don't have stadium lighting like we do, or electricity, at night, it's hard to see. And so if you defeat somebody at night, did you defeat them because of skill or because they could not see you very well? Well, that's an open question. In a culture that values honor, how do you have to beat somebody to receive honor from that kill? In a what sort of fight? A fair fight, precisely. And so once night falls, it's no longer fair. The heralds Talthibius and Agaius 
Adios, you notice from the red, is a Trojan uh, herald. And Talthibius, you notice from the light blue, is an Achaean. I'm sure you've noticed that the Achaeans and the Trojans are color-coordinated on these slides. You've also noticed that the Achaean gods and the, Achaean, and the Trojan gods are color-coordinated as well. All right, quick review. Hector and Ias the Greater had single combat in Book 7. Night fell, and Adias and Talthibius stopped the fight. They didn't exchange gifts. They're sort of friends afterwards. They want to show respect for each other. They want to show evidence that they did fight for each, with each other. Because even though neither of them got the kill, they both got the story. Mm. And so, Hector gives a sword with sheath and sword belt. Nias gives a purple welt war belt to Hector. You don't need to know that, but again, bonus questions come around every now and then. Nestor then makes a big suggestion. This is something you really need to know. We're only going to, I'm only going to talk, yeah, we're going to very quickly go through three last slides. Nestor then suggests that the Achaeans and the Trojans take a pause from the fighting to clear the battlefield of the dead people. This is an important thing to do. They have to call a truce where nobody's allowed to fight against each other. And remember, this will work because it would be dishonorable to kill somebody during a truce. That's why Pandaros, that's part of why Pandaros is dead and why we think lowly of him. Well, why do you have to get bodies off the battlefield? Well, as we saw with Apollo, dead bodies attract, uh, they, they cause disease. They attract bugs, they attract vermin. These sorts of creatures can carry uh, disease, uh, vermin, uh, rats, the bubonic plague. We know that's a big issue. And then fleas and mosquitoes, definitely fleas this time. Uh, bugs are very good ways to uh, push on uh, disease. In fact, recently, in the last six years or so, we had Zika, which was mostly uh, 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 transmitted through mosquitoes. Through mosquitoes. So bugs, very useful. In any case, you have to get these dead bodies off the battlefield. Everybody agrees to this truce. But Nestor is being tricky and clever. He does not only want the Achaeans to take dead bodies off the battlefield. He wants to use this time to build a wall around the Achaean camp, as well as dig a ditch. Why? Well, how well did the Achaeans just do in this most recent fight without Achilleus? Very poorly. And for the first time ever, the Trojans are going to be so confident that they camp not inside their walls, defended, but outside their walls, on the offensive. And so, if the Achaeans are now on the defensive, they better create some defenses. And so, they create a wall, they make a pit with spikes around that wall, and they put several hundred sentries around that wall to keep their eyes open because they are very, very nervous about these Trojans. All that said, this was a deceitful trick by Nestor and Poseidon, who is even on the Achaean side, the Achaean god. He does not much care for that. And eventually he will destroy the Achaean wall, but after the Trojan War, because he thinks that it competes with the wall he recently made with Apollo, which is the Trojan Wall, which was done the generation before. In any case, we then get something that I think we've all been waiting for for some time. A Trojan, back in Troy, Antinor, suggests giving Helen back. Great idea! Let's give her back. And, well, uh, that would have worked, except for Paris stands up and says, I'm not giving her back no matter what. So he says, here's what we, I can give back. How about I give back all the things I stole, except for Helen? And then maybe the Achaeans will leave. Well, that's pretty idealistic thinking, I would say. Pretty naive of him. And so, Talthibius here, or excuse me, Idaeus hears this, and he kind of grumbles under his breath. 
And then he goes to meet the Danaeans and offer them this wonderful term. Well, he visits them. And uh, he actually adds, and you can read this specifically in 7, 385 to 397, how much he and the rest of the Trojans actually hate Paris and wish that he had died. Uh, but um, he says, okay, well, we're offering you uh, some stuff back, but not Helen. Diomedes, not even Agamemnon, doesn't wait for Agamemnon to say anything. He outright refuses. The battle will continue on. The quiz will not feature Book 8 because we just didn't get there today. All right, students. Since 